listening today, say hello to who's next to you. Isn't that great? Everyone has their own versions of hello. I hear so many people doing that. If you're at the coffee shop right now listening, we're so thankful that you're listening and people probably think you're weird, which is great. So that means you belong here. So we're so thankful that you are here today as we talk uh, through Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. So today as I was getting ready, to be honest with you, I was pouring over, asking Jesus what he would have me to share, and I started thinking and walking through this text that's been shared, honestly, for hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries. And it's a text that's familiar to many of us. It's a text that we know. It's a text that, as I was pouring over more and more, it just left me more in awe of Jesus. And if there's anything that I would want for us today, that's it. I want us to leave here more in awe of Jesus than how we walked in. Because I'm going to tell you, even today from the moment I got here, I'm so thankful for our Vine family that is adaptable, like a Swiss army knife that puts up with so many things that is part of the body in so many ways. And I'm so thankful to get to be here because uh, it's, it's a knuckleball sometimes when we come in here. It's a knuckleball in what we get to do, but Jesus is not the knuckleball. He is the one that is always here. He is the one that we will always lift up. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever, and I'm so thankful that he is in this place. And as we just left the song, The Throne Room, we're going to continue to step into the throne room as we talk about the King is here. Now, many of you probably expected John Cena to come out with the champ is here. If you're a wrestling fan, if you're not, that just went over your head. Uh, maybe you thought Ric Flair. I don't know where you are when it comes to the wrestling world, but uh, that's for my mom. She's in heaven laughing. Uh, wherever you are right now, uh, when it comes to that, as we talk about this Palm Sunday, like Jesus is declaring the king is here. When he was born, the heavens and the earth, the heavens declared he is here. But for the first time in his ministry, Jesus, outside of going one-on-one -on -one saying he is who he says he is, he is going to Jerusalem as king. As we dive into the triumphal entry, as we dive into what Palm Sunday is, this is one of 11 uh, stories that are told across all four Gospels. So I shared this a little bit Thursday, so I'm going to tell you the 11, and I'm not going to go in like rat, real fast order. Listen to this again when I do it, but there are 11 stories that are told in all four Gospels. The triumphal entry is one of them. The other is the baptism of John, the anointing at Bethany uh, by Mary for Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000, Peter's profession of faith, the Last Supper, Jesus in Gethsemane, the trials that Jesus walks through, the crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. Those we go through, those are the 11 stories that are told in all four Gospels. So as we dive in today, I want us to leave more in awe of Jesus than how we walked in. So what we're going to walk through today is Matthew's account of the triumphal entry. Matthew's account of the triumphal entry. If you've got your Bible, let's go ahead and get to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. And we're just going to be going through there. Like I said, you can go through. It's in all four Gospels. You'll see the triumphal entry in all four. But we're going to be in Matthew 21, and I want to set this up. We're going to do it a little different, uh, I guess, than normal. Uh, we're going to be kind of going through the verses today. I don't have points for you. I know that sometimes I have points, sometimes I don't. Over these last few weeks, we've just been trying to let the Word of God speak, and today that's what I want. 
If I want you to leave more in awe of Jesus than how you came in, it's not going to be because I gave you a great point. It's not going to be because I gave you a great quote. It's not going to be because I gave you a one-liner. It's going to be because the Holy Spirit spoke to you through the Word of God. And that's what I want for each and every one of us today. And as we go into this season, uh, without lack of better term, many of us have been through funerals, right? Like we're coming out of a pandemic. We've had some massacres that have happened, uh, some mass shootings that have just recently happened. Uh, we've had some things that go through, and, and I, I don't want to look at this in a positive light, so hang in here with me. I'm going somewhere. One of the most spoke about phrases as a funeral, as you're getting to Matthew 21, is this, I feel like I lost a piece of me. And physiologically speaking, that's absolutely true. Believe it or not, that's why a husband and wife who's been married for 30 years, they really do feel like they lost someone when they lost their spouse, because your brain dumps memory. It becomes efficient when you get older. So in other words, there's a reason why one of you knows the PIN number to the card and the other doesn't. One of you knows the combo lock code, the other doesn't. One of you knows uh, where the keys are and the other doesn't. And so when someone passes away in your life, it really means you lost something. Where am I going with that? All of us have and need each other as we mature. We realize that. We need each other. We have a shared history, and so what I want to walk through as we talk about the triumphal entry is, what is the shared history that God is doing? What is the string He is pulling in this tapestry? What is our shared history pointing to in this moment as Jesus goes into Jerusalem during the Passover festival as King? Because as we've walked through this past series, we've kind of been talking about what does it feel like to be a first century Jewish person? What does it feel like? Because it's often overlooked in our time. It's often not taught. It's often not walked into because it's really hard sometimes for us to see this string, this shared history, this piece of us that God is using to connect us, to bring us all together. So if you've got your Bible, let's dive into the Word of God and start in verse 1, Matthew 21, verse 1. And it says this, As they approached Jerusalem... They came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples. Yes, there is no, there, we are stopping at verse 1. I know that says, Jesus sent two disciples. You're in eager anticipation to do what? We'll get there. Uh, but this is important. They're on the road of Jerusalem. They're at Bethphage. They're at the Mount of Olives. Remember, this is where Jesus ascends. He promised he will descend again to come to us on the Mount of Olives. They're there. And if you've ever seen a picture of Jerusalem and you see to the holy city, you'll see the Temple Mount. You'll see what's happening is usually from the Mount of Olives. Because the Mount of Olives, as you go down in the valley, you will pass through the Garden of Gethsemane and you will go up into the city of Jerusalem where the temple is found. That's where in the Psalms where we talked about the Song of Ascents was saying for the pilgrimages, the festivals that the Jews would go to every year, the three festivals, the Passover festival is one where everyone was required to go to the temple. And so this city is bustling, 150,000 plus people crammed into this place, and they're all going the same way. And Jesus looks out, and for the first time it's different. It's different this time. There's something special going on here. It's the end of the road. The cross is before him. And yet as he steps into Palm Sunday, he knows the cross is before him. And as, 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 as we know the joy set before him because of us, he goes to the cross. But now all of a sudden this Passover festival takes on a different meaning. This Palm Sunday it's so much different. This Passover Seder is different than the last. 
Now, the disciples don't know this yet. Jesus is looking out. The disciples haven't figured this out. They've been with Jesus for two plus years, going on three years. They haven't figured this out. They don't know that this is different, but Jesus, Jesus does. He knows that something is about to change. You see, what ends up happening all the way through this, as, as you go down and up, Jesus knows that he's got to go into the depths of the valley for us to rescue us and bring us up out of the pit. It goes on to say this, what the two disciples were going to do in verse 2 through 5, Jesus saying to them, I know I left that out, I'll let you hang in there, little, little run-on sentence, sorry, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Jesus coming on a beast of burden, the foal of a beast of burden. Exodus 13, 13, we talked about it Thursday night, but in, in, in to the Jewish culture, to Israel, what would happen is when a donkey was born, you would either redeem it with a lamb or you would have to break its neck and kill it. So the unredeemable beast now has the Lamb of God riding on it, going in the city. The unredeemable beast, the burned beast, is now there all of a sudden, and Jesus gets on it. He says, bring it to me. He's about to ride it into the city. He's saying for the disciples, go get those things. And also in Exodus 13, 13, as I give you a little homework, look and see what it says about your firstborn son being redeemed. And so Jesus goes, and I don't know if he's got a Jedi mind trick. I don't know what he does with the disciples, but he tells them what they need to do. He says, if, uh, go find the colt, and if anyone says anything to you in verse 3, say the Lord needs them. Now, what if somebody came to your car today and said, hey, the Lord needs that? They got to go to the home improvement store to pick something up. If you know, you know. But the Lord needs that. Like, the Lord needs that today. How would you feel? Like, it had to be something there. There was something being prepared. There was something so much more. Did, did Jesus go before him and, and say, hey, there's going to be two scruffy-looking guys from Galilee. They've been running around with me for a little bit. I promise you, your donkey and the, and the foal of the donkey is going to come back. I promise you, but they're going to take it. But it doesn't say that. He just said, hey, if anybody asks, tell them the Lord needs it, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, Matthew is pointing to Jesus's humility. If you look there, that's in Isaiah. If you have footnotes, it's awesome. I love footnotes in your Bible. Isaiah 62, 11 is what's being fulfilled there. And if you see something that's important uh, I always like to go back and look there uh, because you can see through that first century Jewish mindset when Jesus was walking there. But the question is, is it pointing to something more when Jesus rides a donkey? I gave you Exodus 13, 13. It is the lamb being redeemed for us, the unredeemable, the burdened beast, the one that needed something to go before us. But there is something so much more there. I'm going to give you some more homework. Are you ready? To Israel, they had been praying for the Messiah. Isaiah prophesied the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to come humble, riding on a donkey. Now, to you and I, you just say, hey, this is awesome. There's the donkey. Like, I don't think there's many mentions of Jesus riding a donkey except when we depict the Christmas story and Mary's riding something, right? We would say a donkey. Mary's riding something into Bethlehem. I would hope she didn't walk. Think about that, ladies, walking that far. <laughs> pregnant, nine months pregnant. My goodness, I can't imagine. 
You see, 2 Samuel 15 and 16, David has to go into the city of Jerusalem. 2 Samuel 15, Absalom, his son, has rebelled against him, and a father has to go to war with his very own son, unleash his wrath on his son to save a nation, to save a people. And what do you think David writes going into the city? A donkey. 2 Samuel 16 says the donkeys are for the king's household only. And so to Israel, they see the king all of a sudden. You're going to see why they call him the son of David. They have been looking for this. This is a sign of the Messiah. The Messiah is finally here. The son of God is finally here. He is finally riding on the donkey. David's son Solomon goes in 1 Kings 138. You can see that when he is coronated as king, he rides a donkey. So for us, this is missed. But imagine if you were looking for a sign of something like, Lord, give me a sign, the car I want the car that I need. And the Maserati pulls right beside you, like, you want that sign. You've been looking for that sign, right? Like, that's a perfect car. I would wreck it in the parking lot. I'm just saying, like, that's one of those things you would be so excited for. Israel has been waiting in eager anticipation for a sign of the Messiah to come, and all of a sudden, the prophet from Galilee is riding on the donkey. He's making a declaration that the king is here. All of a sudden, this is why the crowd is losing their mind. The king has finally come. We haven't seen the king ride in on a donkey since David and Solomon. Doesn't Israel already have a king set up by the Roman Empire? See, that's what we're going to see play out here over this next week. For the first time in Jesus' ministry, we see a public display of him as king. He doesn't stop the people from praising. I love Luke's account. He says that if they didn't, even the rocks would cry out. We talked about that Thursday night. You get, that's one of my favorite, favorite things. If they weren't praising me, the rocks would shout they would cry out. And may that always be said of us as we praise the Lord. And I know that there ain't no mountain that's going to spew out lava. There ain't no mountain that's going to be louder than me to praise the Lord. None. We should always be ready. And so Jesus is riding this foal, and he is saying, Israel, everything you have been looking for is here. The king is here. But it's not going to be the way you expect it. It's not going to be deliverance the way you expect it. It's not going to be what you think you need. It's not going to be what you thought you need. It's going to be something so much greater. And so for us, as we look at this, we can see that even if Israel didn't get it yet, they respond and praise. Look at verse 6 through 8. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. What if that was our life right there? What if Jesus told us to go grab a donkey and his foal, and we just trusted him to know that a donkey and his foal is worth more to him for us than anything else, than the Maserati that pulled beside us, than anything else? What if we could be said of our life, we listened to Jesus and did what he says? See, we didn't have to get to the book of James to hear that. It's here from the moment that Jesus steps in there. We just listen to him and do what he says. And that's what the disciples do when they're a part of something so much greater, what Israel's been begging God for for centuries. They brought the donkey and the colt, excuse me, that's that southern draw, sorry, colt, and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to set on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Why does this matter? Look, the crowd is gathering. This is the sign they're looking for. They put their cloaks on the road, their best cloak probably, because you know how people dress up to come to church, right? Like, they got to do that sometimes. Like, 
Like, I love that we can be laid back. You can dress up. You cannot dress up. You don't have to have a five-piece suit on for Jesus to love you here in this house. That's what I love about it because that's what it is. But Israel is caught up in this, and they throw their cloaks. But why the palm branches? You know, I'm a Gospel of John guy. Love John. Love the book of John. And I've told you it's about the festival of tents. It's about the feast of tabernacles while Jesus is here, the temporary shelter. What are the people doing? They are throwing off their cloaks and the temporary that they have held on to and laying it at the king's feet. What if we did that? What if we laid everything we had at the foot of the cross? I will tell you, we can't help but praise when we do that, can we? We can't help but trust when we do that. And yet here is Israel doing that in this moment, this same fickle crowd that will turn on Jesus in just a matter of days. Yet this time it's different. This Palm Sunday, it's different. So what happens in verse 9 through 11? The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Hosanna! Hosanna, save us, we pray. Save us now. They were saying the Messiah is here. Save us now. Like, I'm tired of holding on to these temporary things, these things that are holding me back that don't matter. Save us now. Messiah is here. The King is here. He is coming into the city. It is time to lay it down. Save us, Son of David. We have been looking for you. We have been praying for you, and you are here. Save us now. But what were they begging them to save them from? Maybe debt, Roman oppression, maybe to move a block up the road because it's a nicer block, maybe to have one step up from the donkey, the donkey 2.0, I don't know. Whatever that was, the sheep 2.0, the lamb 2.0, hey, maybe it's to have an extra set of dishes in the pantry. Maybe that's it. What were they begging him to save them from? Even though they laid the temporary down and have this enormous response, many of us as we go into this week will live life the same way. We'll have this enormous response in this hour, and we'll go out in the street, and we will turn fickle. But Jesus is worth so much more than that, isn't he? We all fall short, me included, even this morning. Uh, We all fall short. But at the same time, I wonder if this Palm Sunday just like it was 2,000 years ago, would just be a little bit different for us. I wonder if we would, as we cry out, Lord, save us, as we cry out, save us now, we pray, would we, would we trust what is going on here? Because see, Jesus now for the first time doesn't keep the mystery hidden. If you were to study this, it's called the Messianic mystery. But in Jesus' ministry, remember when he would heal people, what would he tell them before this moment? Shh. Don't tell anybody. And what did we do? We told everybody. They told everybody. Hey, to the blind man, hey, shh, don't tell anybody. Hey, to the leper, hey, go, go wash yourself and then, then go to the temple and pray, okay? And what do they do? They tell everybody. The man that gets up off his mat and walks, what do they do? They tell everybody. Normally, his humility is he doesn't let this public display happen, but something's different. But there's also this moment in time whenever Jesus, before when they wanted to make him king, remember what he did? He withdrew to a private place to pray. But this time is different. This time is different. 
This Passover is different. This moment is different. And why is it different? Because the preparation has been made. The table has been set. This is the moment. This is why he, this is how he is ushering in the kingdom of God and why he is here. Kind of like the wedding. Married couples. See married couples here. I've been married like 25 times. I'm just kidding. I haven't. Praise God. Uh, only 30. Uh, it is what it is. It is what it is. Married couples. You remember all those details leading up to the wedding? How stressful that is. Now, as an outside party, uh, anytime I get to be in uh, part of a wedding, I always tell people, don't sweat the details. And it's easy for for me to say it because I'm not in it, but I'm telling you, it's hard for me not to sweat the details too, and I'm not even married. So I know when it comes into this moment, it's there, but let me ask you something. When you get to the wedding, who knows you miss those details? Nobody. Just you. Just you. Nobody knows. They just, they don't, they don't, they don't have anything. It doesn't matter that the rice was, was the wrong color or that, that the birds ate it or if your bubbles didn't quite go the way it was supposed to or the cake didn't t- taste the way that you thought it was like. Nobody remembers all of that or that maybe you fell going down the aisle. You just didn't record it. It's okay. Whatever that is, nobody really remembers those little bitty details. So there comes a moment where you just got to let the details go because there's some Something greater that's happening. When I tell everyone to stand and the bride walks down the aisle, what I hear most grooms say is that's when it hits them. Something's about to change. And as she sees him walking and she's walking down the aisle, she knows that something's about to change for the rest of my life. Like, really, like, we've talked about it, we've prepared for it, but like, this is about to happen. That's what Jesus is doing. The wedding is here. The cross is about to happen. The preparation has been made. The table has been set. And now he is going to fulfill what only he could do. And I just want to say on the back end of this, maybe you're in a season of preparation right now. In God's kingdom, there's always preparation. And I will tell you, I'm a fighter. I don't like the preparation. The preparation stinks, don't it? Maybe you're in the middle of God preparing you for something right now. Trust him in the wait. Trust him in it. Because I will tell you, as I tell folks when it comes to their wedding, it's a blur, isn't it? You remember your wedding by the pictures. You remember a couple things about your wedding. Your spouse, what they look like. You probably remember when you kissed and you were announced. Maybe a dance if that wasn't a blur. But more importantly, if no one saved any food for you, you didn't eat for like 14 or 15 hours straight. Like you were just starving. Let's be real. Like you don't remember a ton of those things. But in this moment, when the preparation has been set, you enjoyed it though, didn't you? This season of preparation, what if this whole last year was, what if this time last Palm Sunday, God was preparing us for this one? Season of preparation. Will you trust it? You see, the first 20 chapters of Matthew is two years of Jesus' ministry outside of his birth. It's funny, the last eight or the last seven days before he goes and talks to the witnesses and he spends his 40 days here. That's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that that happens. And you see, as Jesus is about to find out when you come in as king, it's going to get you killed in Israel. 
Because there's already a king. Herod Antipas is there. Not the Herod who killed the innocents, but his son is there as Jesus goes in there. Herod Antipas is there. The scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, all those in power. Now all of a sudden, see, the Messiah is here, which means my job is phased out. I must not be important anymore. And all of a sudden, there's a fickle crowd who thinks that they're going to go to war and that the battle preparation is that all of a sudden, like, <laughs> I'm always thinking Lord of the Rings, I'm sorry. But all of a sudden, the, the man's going to come on the horse. He's ready to go. Like, you know, Gandalf's going to be there, and, and uh, you know, every, everything's going to be crazy and whatever, however you want to go it. We can talk a Bible prophecy and all that, but we won't get—that's a tangent I won't go on today. But we think all of these things are coming to be happening, but it's not what they thought it would be. You see, verse 12 through 16 shows what Jesus did in spite of all of that as he goes to the cross knowing he's going to be killed. The first place that Jesus goes in Matthew 21 starts in verse 12. It says this, the first place Jesus goes after he rides in to the city, he goes up the hill, he goes to the temple mount, and he enters the temple course. And what does he do? He drives out all who were buying and selling there. By the way, I have my book for sale in the lobby if you would like to. I've also got some prayer hangers. I'm just kidding. That's wrong. Don't send hate mail because I won't read it anyway. But wherever you are, like, I'm just saying, he goes in, he drives those out, he overturns the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers or a den of thieves. In other words, Jesus not only says, the king is here, he goes and says, the kingdom is here, and I'm ushering it in. No more of these fake false sacrifices, this dead religion that you think you have to go to every festival. You think you have to keep all 600 laws. You think you've got to have it all together when you come in the house with your best cloak on and your best everything on. No more. The king is here, and God's kingdom is at hand. And he goes in, and he flips it out and says, my father's house will be a house of prayer, because no more will the veil be up between you and my father. Now you can enter his presence at any time. And what happens? The blind and the lame came to him into the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They ask him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. That's that childlike faith, isn't it? From the mouth of babes, he's called forth praise. You see, as he goes and these kingdoms collide, the, the teachers of the law realize it, and I wonder if we do. This is a victory march. It's a victory march to the cross. That's why it's triumphant. He knows what he's about to do what he's about to accomplish. He knows where he is going. And so what I wanted to walk through for us today, and what I want us to see is the question we ask ourselves that the crowd had to ask, that the teachers has to ask, the teachers had to ask, who is this Jesus? Do we follow him for what he's going to do for us? Or do we follow him for what he has done? Do we trust him with that? 
Do we trust him for salvation in some things or do we trust him for salvation in all things? Do we trust him for deliverance in some things or deliverance in all things? Do we think that he doesn't have access to every part of our life? Do we close off things? Do we wear our cloaks in the city and all of a sudden we turn so quick on him and say crucify him three days later? Is that us or do we really trust him with all that we are? Do we see that this is different, that this Jesus is different? that he is who he says he is? Or do we walk around searching for the popularity of the crowd? See, it's a challenging question. And it's one that Jesus hits me with every morning too is, who am I to you, Tyler? Are you gonna come to me first thing in the morning and then I don't hear from you the rest of the day? Are you gonna come to me for everything that I can do for you? Are you gonna praise me for for what I have done? Are you going to thank me for what I have done? Are you going to worship me? But more importantly, are you just going to listen to what I say and do it? You see, that's what we get to step into on this Palm Sunday. Not the signs. We live on this side of the cross. We don't have to look for the signs. They've already been fulfilled. I don't know about you, but thank Jesus for that. I don't have to wait for the Messiah to come. I don't have to sit there and say, well, one day Messiah will come, and one day we'll worship him on this mount like the woman at the well said it. And you say we got to worship him on this mount. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Cut that out. The king is here. Now we get to celebrate him, and we get to walk in fullness of that. No pandemic will stop that. No bad weather will stop that. No job loss will stop that. No college education will stop who Jesus is. And I just wonder if we went out into the world and shared that, how much different this would be, how much division would be erased, how many times we would sit down across the table and say, I want to hear your story. And when I hear your story, I want to tell you how Jesus rewrote my story. I wonder if we did that in loving God and loving others, how this Palm Sunday would be different than the last, how this Passover Sunday would be different than the thousands of years past, how this time we could be his people, because I know we're hungry for it. I know the world is hungry for it. You see, the world, the world is looking for a sign. Looking for a sign. Just give me a sign. Give me a sign. Is that the one? Oh, they dialed the wrong number. Yes, that's it. That's the one. Oh, they sent me a friend request. Yes, that's it. That's the one. Oh, they gave me that, that. They gave me that much money. Yes, that's the one. Oh, that college gave me this much tuition. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. We're looking for a sign. All of us are looking for a sign because the cry of our heart is something needs to save us. Something must save us because we know we're not enough. But thank Jesus we don't have to be. And what we get to share with the world is the cry of our heart is filled only in him because of the cross, the cross before him. The crowd says, we want to make you king. And he said, I already am. <laughs> he said, I already am. This is what I'm here for, to usher God's kingdom and bring heaven to earth. You don't have to wait for the festival and figure out if you got to give a dove or a goat or a ram or a calf or, or, or no longer do you have to paint the lamb's blood on the door. No longer do you got to figure out if it's bitter herbs here, if it's leavened bread here, unleavened bread there. You don't have to figure that out anymore. Just trust me. Man, oh man, that should fire us up because we get to enter the throne room. We just sang it. We get to go in the throne room. The veil is torn. The people of Israel at this time couldn't. Only the high priest 
But because he is our high priest, now we get to do that. The very creator of the universe. And so when we cry for something to save us, Jesus says, I'm here. Will you receive me? You see, we get to live in light of that moment from this Palm Sunday. The question is, all the way through, will we live in it? You see, right now, as you came in, we've got two things that you hopefully got on your chair. If not, you sat on them, and I'm very, very sorry. Uh, but as you came in, you got two things on your chair. We're going to take communion in a little bit. But for the rest of us, this is something we've given out many, many times, but it's a great reminder. It even gives you the plan of salvation on the back end. It's this bracelet. You see, it talks about Jesus descending and coming to us to make a way for us. And now, as we're about to celebrate, he's going to the cross. And this time next Sunday, we're going to celebrate an empty tomb and that Mount of Olives where he ascended and said, I will return for you one day. Don't you worry. I am coming back. But in the meantime, I will never leave you or forsake you because the same spirit that rose me from the grave is going to live in you. And one day he's going to come again and he's going to bring us home. The thing that I want to share with us and the thing that's most important for each and every one of us, the reason I wanted to bring this to you today is I know in this house, I know in this house the people that know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that know He is the thing that saved us. But as you wear that over this next week, I want you to think of the name of people who you don't, who don't know Him as Savior. What if we went out today knowing that every person we pass has that same cry in their heart, that saying, save us. And the save us they have is the car. The save us that's going to break down, it's going to break down, y'all. It's a car. The car that's going to break down. The house that's going to tear up. It's going to be the college degree that's going to tear up. The prodigal that they say they don't know anything to do with, but we know that in Christ the prodigals can come home all the way through. Those, each and every one of those people are crying out, something save us. What if we just said, let me tell you about who saved me. Maybe we don't feel comfortable with that. Next week, people expect to come to church at Easter. What if we just said, hey, I want you to meet a group of people that know Jesus as their Lord and Savior just like I do. We got breakfast, we even got a bubble machine, but whatever it is, it's going to point to Jesus. What if we wore this this week and believe that? I love on our Vine Church shirts, the last shirts we have, have this. It's a conversation starter. When people say, what's, what's, what's your shirt about? What's going on? Like, it's a plus sign and an upside down U and like all these arrows. Like, are you walking in circles? And you can say, no, 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 no. No longer am I stuck in chaos or the storm. I know who's with me through the storm. And let me tell you about him. We can do this, church. And so this week as we go out, let's know that the cry of everyone's heart is something to save us. And for others, maybe today as I'm just sitting here talking to you about Jesus, you've never considered him. You've never tried to really dig in that you're asking for something to save you. Maybe you look back on your life and you were like, well, I thought that relationship would save me. Uh, how many of those have had those? Like, you know, you've been in that relationship. Like, that was it. You sing Garth Brooks. You thank God for unanswered prayers. Just it is what it is. I'll open that there. Don't worry. I won't put a cowboy hat on. I won't go there. But you saved that one. You thought that was it. You thought the car would save you. You thought having more kids would save you. Didn't work out. You thought the college degree would save you. 
How'd that go? Most expensive receipt in your life, isn't it? Like, I'll tell you right now, and you don't get a refund on it. Like, what in the world? I've tried. It don't work. Uh, like, all the way through. Maybe you've realized that. And today, for the first time, you feel something different about this Sunday. And I want to tell you, each and every one of us that are in Christ Jesus have been exactly where you are. We came to this moment to realize that we could never be enough, but that God loved us, that he made a way. He made a way to fulfill everything we couldn't do. And he did that in his son. And what we celebrate is Jesus Christ doing that for us. That's why the cross is there. Romans 5, 8 reminds us of this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As he goes on this Palm Sunday to that cross, he was thinking of you and me. Have you ever had someone love you so much that in spite of being exalted, in spite of getting all the praise and every accolade, they still would willingly lay their life down for you? That's what Jesus did for us. And so wherever you are today, I'm going to ask everyone to keep, to have their head bowed. I want to let you know the reason we do what we do is to point to the cross. Because this is the answer. Not the pastor, not a, not a, a, a great, a, a, the, who puts, uh, you know, makeup on to look great. I don't because it would be melted off. But like, not a great phrase, not a great turnabout, but it is about the cross and Jesus crucified for us, Christ crucified. It is all about him. And today I want to open up the door for the opportunity for you to see that he wants to save you just like he wanted to save me. So with every head bow and every eye closed, I want to ask everyone to repeat this after me for the benefit of those who are coming to Christ for the first time. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the perfect sinless life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve, paying the penalty for my sin, on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. With every head bow and every eye closed in this house and online, if that's you and you can say for the first time you've given your life to Christ, I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, for the first time, you realize that your heart's cry for salvation could only be filled with the King, Christ Jesus, could only be filled with the Son of God, Christ Jesus. If you're listening throughout the week, please let us know. We would love, love, love to celebrate this decision with you. You can email us at prayer at divine.tv or 864-580-6698. We want to celebrate this decision with you because this literally is the best decision that you will ever make. And for the rest of us, you can look up. I just want to say, in light of that salvation, we get to have communion with the very creator of the universe through Christ Jesus, who created us to be in communion, created us to be in relationship with him, loved us enough. He made a way. He made a bridge. He made a way. He made a place through Christ for us 
to be in relationship with him. And so this day, as we celebrate communion, I'm going to read what communion is all about, and we're literally going to read the words of Jesus at his Last Supper. We're not going to go in Corinthians where Paul is writing. We're going to read here in Matthew where Jesus is talking about this in Matthew 26. And what he does is he has gone into this city. He's already said, get, get this, this foal and this donkey. There's a place prepared. Then he says, hey, in the city, in the upper room, there's going to be a place for us to go. And the preparation has been made. Now do you see the preparation has been made for the triumphal entry? The preparation has been made for Jesus to come have this supper and say, this is a moment that points back to me and everything that we do. And so for us, as we take communion, I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. We're going to take communion together, but I'm going to have a, a, a moment of silence. Maybe we just need to have this part where, you know, the Christian life is marked with confession or repentance, or maybe there's just something temporary. There's a cloak or a palm branch we need to lay down at the cross before we take this just to be reminded that Jesus is the thing that sustains us. Jesus is the thing that fills us. Jesus is the thing that saves us. That's what this points to, this communion, this wedding feast that we get to take part of now, but will forever and eternity be a part of. So as I read this, we're going to go to the, word, the Lord in prayer in a moment, just in silence. I'm not going to say anything. We're just going to have a moment of silence to lay it at the Lord's feet, and we're going to take communion. Maybe we need to praise Him in our silence. Maybe we need to just say, hey, Lord Jesus, I don't know what in the world's going on here, but I know you're over it. Show me the way. Whatever that is, lay that at his feet and just take this communion. Make this Palm Sunday, this communion different than any moment you've ever been a part of and anyone you've ever been a part of. You see, we take communion because we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus says this at the Passover, the Last Supper, at the communion we take uh, this time of year and sometimes even more. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said to them, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we're going to have this moment of silence, and then we will take communion together with that cup and bread you have in your seat. So anything you have that you need to lay at the feet of Jesus, let's take a moment to do that. wherever you are now. We're going to open our juice and bread if you haven't already. We're going to take the bread first, as Jesus said, and we're going to take that together. And he said, this is his body broken for us as a reminder that he is the one who fills us.
Now we will take the juice. If you, sorry if the bread gets a little crazy there in the preparation, but take the juice so you're not, uh, you're not there. This is his blood poured for us. And as we've taken this communion together, I'm about to pray and we're about to go into worship again. And I would just, I'm gonna challenge us in this prayer to be reminded of this communion and the communion we get to have with the Savior, our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And the challenge I'm gonna have for us in this prayer is this. Will the earth quake louder than us? Will the mountain and the rocks shout praise to him greater than we will? Or will we step into his presence and his court with thanksgiving and praise and lift his name high? So dear Jesus, thank you that we get to be here today. Thank you for the joy set before you, enduring and going to the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way where it looked like there was no way, that you came to save all people, not just step back and, and save us from the oppression of this world, but you saved us from the oppression of sin, the, the oppression that the sin, the cancer that kills us, Jesus. You made a way. You set us free from it. If we would just believe and receive the finished work of the cross and that you are who you say you are. So I pray and declare that this Palm Sunday would be different, that this communion would be different, that we would go into your courts with praise, and we would know that in this moment, as we lift your name high, that we will be able to declare you in these streets, and we will be your light to our world crying for salvation. Because of you, we get to do this. So I pray, Jesus, we would just step into your courts with praise and thanksgiving and leave here in awe of you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
how great is it that we can celebrate that we aren't slaves to sin anymore, right? Can't we celebrate that? Can't we be thankful for that? Like, I'm telling you seriously, we have something that's better than the cure for cancer. We got Jesus. We got something that's better than the cure for the disease to please. We got Jesus. We got something that's better than the cure for your cash flow issues. We got Jesus. So as we go out in these streets, let's share him. Let's be his light. Let's bring people to him. It's not about us. It's not about our name being lifted up. I'm telling you, when we get to heaven one day, the Father is going to be embracing us with open arms for each and every one of us that have pointed his lost children to him. Think about that. We get to be a part of that. Let's go do that this week, and you make plans to join us next week as we celebrate death defeated and celebrate Resurrection Sunday for Easter at the Vine. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next week.